2: now
3: Something wicked is coming this way and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate the gold now. The timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with Noble Gold Investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now Noble Gold Investments offer
4: evening, Patriots, and happy Sunday. This is not Comfy Sunday, but it's a special episode of RPN for Sunday night live stream. Thank you very much to everybody for coming here tonight on this very special occasion. We have a whistleblower roundtable set up for you guys. I feel like I should let everybody know that this show is not done in conjunction with Project Veritas, but we have a lot of Project Veritas whistleblowers with us and people who did their own whistleblowing activities outside of the bounds of any particular organization just because they wanted to do the right thing. So. We have a just gangbusters roundtable set for you guys. Do me a favor. Don't forget to like and share the broadcast. Help us by putting it out there on your favorite social media platforms. Hello to everybody out there on Rumble, and Getter, on and the Foxhole, and Odyssey, and all the other platforms where we're live. Tonight's show is brought to you by the Second Amendment coin. This is a free commemorative coin, which you can use to show your support for the Second Amendment. You can go to the link in the description below, supportthesecond.com. It's 100% free for the viewers of my program. Thank you very much to support the second for supporting the show. All right, and without further ado, please sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn. Here we go with the roundtable. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you so much to every single one of you for being here with us tonight. We have a lot of people here on the panel, so I'm going to go through and ask you to uh, introduce yourself and then also tell us uh, a brief uh, bit of information about the content of your whistleblowing activities. Most of you have been on the show before, but a couple of you haven't. Thank you very much to all of you for being here. We're going to begin up here in my upper left with Officer Jody. Officer Jody, how are you?
5: I'm doing really well. How are you?
4: Excellent. Thank you for being here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your whistleblowing activities.
5: Okay. Well, I, I'm the majority of my whistleblowing is related to law enforcement officers. Um, I have since 2006, uh, kind of expanded into all areas of government, but I, I work as a, volunteer victims' rights advocate for individuals that come forward with uh, needs when it comes to any kind of government corruption that they've come across. Again, most of it is uh, majority majorly against law enforcement officers uh, because it's one of those things that you want to be able to trust the people that swear to protect you, right? And right. many times uh, people are really surprised that they cannot trust uh, a lot of law enforcement. So they come to me with the information, and I look into it and take select cases based on that.
4: Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I think that's something that's sorely needed. You know, here in the conservative sphere, kind of this larger truth and freedom movement, I think that... The vast majority of us do trust law enforcement and we teach our children to trust law enforcement. Uh, but unfortunately, there always is going to be that one percent, that bad element, whether it's in law enforcement, government, business banking, across the board, somebody, if they can take advantage of their position, they're going to do it. And we have to keep people honest. So thank you very much for what you're doing out there. Uh Let's thank go with you. Carrie Porch next. Carrie, how you been, buddy? Good to see you.
6: Hey, good to see you as well, RP. It's been, been a while and appreciate you uh and that and, uh, Ryan kind of getting this whole circus together to have us all here and old friends and new friends. But, uh, yeah, um, like just a 30 second thing. I worked at CNN for two and a half years, starting in 2017, just after, uh, Trump got in office. Uh, full disclosure, I was not a Trump fan at the time and went to CNN solely to help undo him, so to speak. But while get being employed there and seeing how news is manufactured behind the scenes not reported it led me to a big existential crisis to eventually find james o'keefe and project veritas and start recording for about four or five months and then we went to air october 2019 uh, blew up the internet for about three or four days a week or so and then back to normal life and back to making new friends like you Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you here on the side of
4: good and right and away from the dark side. So thanks for being here. Uh, let's go to Alex next. Alex, how are you, buddy? Pleasure to meet you.
7: How's it going? Uh, most people know me as Richard Hopkins, but I tell everybody, hey, call me Alex. But I was a postal worker for three years uh, during the November election period. I came into work one day and I overheard my freaking supervisor and my postmaster having a heated discussion about the ballots that were picked up the day before, which would have been the fourth, which would have been after the actual, you know, election was supposed to be completed. We were still picking up all these things. They were making a big deal about how every vote counts. It wasn't just the postmaster. It was everybody. In the supervisor level, we're like, every vote has got to count. you got to pick up them ballots and get them to us. And so I was bothered by it. Uh, I went and talked to a friend. She actually suggested some local guy, but I eventually was listening to Tim Pool. And there was a guy in, uh, I think, Michigan that had the exact same thing happen to him. And I was like, I need to go to Project Veritas. If there's anybody that's going to be able to be willing to listen, it's probably that. So I did.
4: Well, thank you for your courage. Obviously, you know, every vote should count as long as it's legal. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe I was thinking about this actually yesterday, but perhaps in, um, in, in response to your whistleblowing ex- activity, uh, the post office has just announced that they're creating a, an entire new branch that deals, uh, exclusively with election related mail, which probably makes it a little bit more difficult for leaks to get out and for people to report on what they're seeing. So kind of, Disconcerting, but you know we're going to do what we can. Uh, Let's 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 next go to Nurse Jody. Nurse Jody O'Malley. So good to see you again.
8: Yes, you too. Thank you. So yes, I'm a nurse. Um, I work um, at Phoenix Indian Medical Center, um, which is part of the Indian Health Service. Uh, federal government hospital for the Native Americans. And I just witnessed uh an exposed recorded secretly recorded um what my colleagues were thinking and feeling in real time and um and then the vaccine injuries that we had, um probably one of the biggest ones that we hear that I exposed was um a case of myocarditis post vaccination. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, also a 15-year-old with blood clots, and then um, the refusal of a patient's right to try, um, the refusal um, to fill a doctor's order by the pharmacist, and um, just, you know, exposed it, upheld my oath.
4: Well, I, I think that the importance of your specific whistleblowing activity has only been made more prevalent uh, since then. I mean, it, it, the, the cases that we're seeing, that we're witnessing now, the number of deaths, the number of uh, cases of myocarditis and blood clots and just all of these strange illnesses that very young people are developing, uh, it, it's pretty uh, upsetting. Uh, and then also on that same note, Melissa McAtee, uh, Pfizer whistleblower. Good to see you, Melissa.
9: Hi, nice to see you again. Absolutely. Yeah, so I whistleblow against my company of Pfizer after being there almost 10 years. Um, I witnessed things that were against our own rules and regulations. Um, I found emails in our database that showed that they were willingly and purposefully keeping information from the public so that people couldn't have informed consent to receive the vaccine that they were putting out. Um, I witnessed a lot of sketchy things going on with the FDA, uh, lots of things being overseen and skipped that were um, safety-focused. And um, I actually had never heard of Project Veritas when I went to them. It was more so my conspiracy theory friends sent me to them, and they responded, and it all took off from there. Um, And I got let go from them, which is fine. I didn't expect to keep my job but um they broke their own retaliation rule so i don't know um (laughs) i'm still working um i know that they've released a lot of their documents i'm still working to try and prove that they willingly put people in danger um and i hope that it all gets seen soon and and recognized that what they did was intentional
4: absolutely very very important stuff all right. Next on the list, uh, Ryan Hartwig, Facebook whistleblower. Ryan, good to see you again, buddy.
10: Yeah, you too. Thanks for having us and hosting us, uh, Zach, especially so many of us. And, uh, yeah, I actually helped organize this, this event. I think it's great. Maybe we'll have to do another event like this, either on your show or somewhere else, but sure. Yeah. I went to public, uh, two years ago in June of 2020. Uh, so I was working for Facebook as a contractor. So I was the one who deleted your memes and your posts about <laughs> politics. And so, uh, so many, so yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> I was there for almost uh, two years at Facebook and then I filmed with a camera for about nine months. So yeah, that just, it's just the double standard that Facebook has making newsworthy exceptions really tracking and political trends when they really shouldn't be involved that much involved in this lecture or the right lectures around the world. So since then I've done, um, a lot of interviews, I published a book, as you can see behind me, behind the mask of Facebook. Uh, shameless plug right there. And, plug away, uh, Ryan, plug away. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been involved in some lawsuits. I helped get a criminal referral of the DOJ from Mark Zuckerberg. We, uh, there was a lawsuit I was helped with uh, against YouTube, uh, an FEC complaint against Facebook in Michigan. And I also uh, had evidence in, I was mentioned multiple times in Laura Loomer's uh, RICO lawsuit she just filed. So she used a lot of my evidence in her RICO lawsuit against Facebook.
4: Excellent. Well, glad to have you here again, man. Good to see you. And uh Thanks. next on the list, David Johnson. Hasbro was a bullet blower. Good to see you again, David.
11: Good to see you too. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um so yeah, those who don't know me, um, I worked for Hasbro, a huge toy company, uh, as one of their packaging engineers for a little bit. And shortly into my time there, they pulled us into a CRT meeting, uh Critical Race Theory. And, um, because I've been watching people like, uh, Tim pool, Steven Crowder for years, I was aware of like the ideology behind it, but to have it thrust in my face at work was beyond shocking to me. Um, and at the time I I didn't know who else I could turn to. I, I had the foresight to record it, but I didn't know who I could bring it to besides project Veritas. And they knew exactly what to do. Um, they brought me to Tampa, Florida and broke the story live and, since then, I've been um, trying to become more of an expert on critical race theory to help everyday people um, combat against it
4: because it's, it's an invading ideology. Absolutely. And totally nefarious and even more so when it's being pushed on children because once they get it, they're the hooks of this into the minds of the kids. Then that's going to carry with them throughout their lives. So thank you very much for what you're doing. Uh, also, you. we have uh, April. Um, uh, I'm sorry, April Moss. April Moss, CBS whistleblower. April, this is our first time meeting, and I know that your voice is a little scratchy. So feel free to say as little as you want.
12: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I do apologize. I'm getting over a cold, um, but I was a meteorologist for nine years for the Detroit affiliate of CBS. And during my time there during COVID, I noticed that our station began to move farther and farther away from objective journalism. I was a TV show host, uh, for a show that aired on Saturday mornings. And so. Even though as uh, my main job was as a meteorologist, which had nothing to do with the news cycle, I was kind of brought into that, um, as the host of this show that would air. And so it was during that time that I really began to realize that, uh, CPS was absolutely intent on keeping the truth of early, effective, safe treatments and remedies to COVID from the people. I began to bring this up to my bosses and managers. And say, listen, we don't need to make people be afraid or, or have them be fearful. We have all of these other things we can tell them to do to keep themselves safe. Um, and I was told directly that no, we are only allowed to push the vaccines. Um, those were direct orders from CBS New York. Uh, and then I also kind of exposed the, the propaganda that they would use in addition to Instagram and MTV because CBS was owned by, um, at the time, Viacom, now it's Paramount. And so it's a huge conglomeration. So they're using the power of all of those brands to uh, basically propagandize the people. And um, thankfully, Project Veritas picks up my story. And um, Ivory Hacker, just one week prior, had come out and, you know, just really blew up the internet with her live on air um expose of what her station was doing. And so we thought this this is kind of the avenue that I need to follow as well. And that's what we did. And so during the middle of my forecast, I told everybody to um watch Project Veritas that upcoming week uh, because some big news would would be coming out about the discrimination that CBS was putting upon their employees. And so that was uh, the beginning. That was just about one year ago uh, this past June. And now currently I'm an investigative journalist, uh, completely independent, but I'm also a correspondent for Real America's Voice Network. And I'm very grateful that my story ended positively in, in that um, I'm doing what I love to do, And being able to report the truth uncensored, I'd be able to dig into real stories with real people that are happening right now. My whole goal, you know, is is to be able to tell the people's stories and help them. So that's what I aim to do with my website, uh, AprilMossTV.com. I have a lot of resources on there for everybody, which we can talk about later.
4: Absolutely. Thank you very much for your bravery. You know, it would be one thing if it was just CBS. But knowing that it is a coordinated effort between not only all of the different facets of the uh, parent company, but also it seems like every other major media outlet out there, it makes it even scarier. Uh, next, we're going to go to Sean Spiegel. Sean, this is our first time meeting. Thank you very much for being here.
13: Uh, thank you for having me. To all of you guys that don't know who I am, my name is Sean Spiegel. I am a former social media content analyst working for Facebook and Instagram through a third-party vendor called Cognizant. Uh, I was not in the general queue that most Facebook moderators were in. I was specifically in a desk or department called the Graphic Violence and Hate Speech department. I mainly focused on violence and threats that were going towards animals, people, children and it grew into more of a an online black market that was propagating on Facebook and Instagram that was dealing a lot with in the United States illegal firearms transactions, pedophilia, kidnapping, child trafficking and uh just a whole lot of other stuff like that. I also worked on specific cases in um, 2017 and 2018 with the FBI regarding the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and any sort of violence that was being induced there and other pedophilia charges that were going on in the United States.
4: Well, thank God you did. Thank you very, very much for what you do. All right. And then uh, finally... Someone I consider to be the David Bowie of the whistleblowing world, Mr. Zach Voorhees. What's
14: going on, Zach? Good to see you. And you're muted. so Don't forget. All right, I'm muting. Zach, (laughs) good to see you. Love the tan. Thank you. you, Thank you. Enjoying Florida. (laughs) Look how white I am. Because you can tell that I'm still in San Francisco. Uh, Yeah. So I blew the whistle against Google in 2019. Um, I started to uh, get a little suspicious that Google wasn't exactly who they seemed after what they considered the wrong presidential um, candidate being elected, Donald Trump. Uh, I wasn't necessarily like a fan of Donald Trump, but um, I didn't like Hillary Clinton. So I thought this was kind of better of the two, but apparently Google disagreed as did most of the employees and they set out to define fake news and Use that justification to censor the information that you had access to through their monopoly in the search engine space. So I saw this going on on the inside. Um, I was like, I'm just going to save this. Started hitting save as PDF on all of their design documents. I gathered 950 pages, uh, gave it to you through Project Veritas and through my website, zachforhees.com. See how the sausage is made of censorship on my website, and I'm happy to be here today. (laughs)
4: <laughs> all right. Awesome. And once again, thank you for uh, coming forward. Thank you to every single one of you. You know, one of the interesting things to me about whistleblowers, uh, you, you guys really kind of occupy this, uh, this space of celebrity in the, the truth and freedom movement and in conservative circles, because you've done something that is unusual. You've done the right thing. You've come forward and you have drawn attention to something that, uh, you know, by all rights, many other people should have been drawing attention to even before you. Uh, and so I think I kind of want to explore that aspect of this. You know, I mean, the fact that most people don't come forward. You guys did choose to do the right thing, uh, and you've brought attention to uh, a variety of different topics. Uh, Officer Jody, I want to start with you you know um it, it's even more disturbing as i said in uh, the area of law enforcement because law enforcers you know whatever uh, agency they work with uh they have a lot more power than the average person you know in say the the uh the civilian corporate world um as a law enforcement officer i mean you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as nobody's going to Turn you in, uh, you know, what, what do they call it? Isn't there, there, there's like the, there's a, a rule among law enforcement officers that they don't tell on each other. Um, you know, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. Why do you think more people in, uh, the law enforcement world don't come forward and, uh, and, and say something when they see bad behavior?
5: Well, there's that code of silence. And I think that was the word you were looking for, yes. right? Yes. That in law enforcement, there's this unspoken rule and it is a code of silence. And uh, it, it's one of those things that obviously you take that oath to protect and serve. And that should be the number one conversation, the number one topic that everyone goes into law enforcement, having that understanding that you are not above the law, you serve the people and that you should have the highest level of ethics, integrity, and morality that there is right there. there sh- you should, you should hold yourself to that higher standard. And if you don't, it's only a recipe for disaster. And for all of those law enforcement officers that are out there that are good, they're decent people, I often tell people, if you are not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So we have to really take more of an opportunity to educate all of those officers out there that, um, you know, we need to make an opportunity for them to come forward is what I'm trying to say. There, there, There is no anonymous system, kind of like a um, a crime reporter system, right? There's nothing that we have that allows those officers that are truly in fear for their safety and for their family's safety to come forward. And so we need to create that uh, system for people to come forward and really break that code of silence.
4: So, like, on that note, if someone witnesses something or they see a crime being committed, they see some really overtly bad behavior – what is the process to report that? I mean, I know, like, in the federal government, they have whistleblower channels and ways that you can go about it. But are you saying that if you are a police officer and, say, your your partner, I don't know, shoots somebody or, or robs a drug dealer or something, whatever it might be, uh do you just have to, like, tell your superior and then there's a possibility that everybody's going to find out?
5: Yes. I mean, you know, every – organization and every agency has their own standard operating procedures, their GOs, their general orders um, that they're supposed to abide by and follow. And the majority of law enforcement officers that I speak to, when they do try to make a report against a fellow officer, uh, those supervisors that they make that report up to will tell other officers not to trust that particular individual, which is exactly what happened to me as I was blackballed and I was kind of kept as an outlier uh, from the other officers and they didn't want to work with me and they didn't want to back me up. And so what ends up happening is when officers do come forward and say something about other officers doing uh, bad things, whether it be a policy violation or an actual criminal violation, many times they're ousted from the group and they're not, uh, they're no longer in that protection, that circle of protection.
4: So that obviously is a de facto like exile. Like you're not able to do your job Correct. if you can't count on Correct. your your uh, your your men and women standing inestia to to back you up. So obviously yes. very very dangerous. Um, I, I would like to at that juncture split to um asking kind of each one of you. Uh, what the effect on your life was in, in, in coming forward with these different revelations. Uh, and if we can, let's go to, uh, to Carrie. You know, how did becoming a whistleblower affect you and was it positive or negative?
6: I mean, each one of our stories are obviously unique. There are some from the ones I know, there's some overlapping, but, um, I'd say mine is about 85 to 90, 92% positive overall. Um, I know my story came out at a pretty decent time before censorship and everything really started ramping up. So mine was able to get some pretty decent reach pretty fast through the, the you know, the usual suspects. Um, overall positive, like I said, uh, my wife and I, we knew we didn't want to live in D.C., you know, because it's powerful. Uh, CNN's a powerful company, and for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're losing viewers, but they still hold a little bit of clout. Um, so we were actually moving out of uh DC as my story was dropping and down here to Florida, um, where she's got some family to raise our well then she was pregnant, but now our daughter. So we're in Florida, loving life, um, you know, over in Hillsborough County, the Tampa area and everything. So um overall it's a lot of fun just watching her grow up and I'm just living like, you know, quite a pretty much a normal life right now. Still trying to stay active as best I can in the movement. Um, it is wild sometimes. like, you know, like I know all of us at least I hope all of us have gotten recognized at least once or twice and in public. And that always kind of freaks me out, but it's only in niche circles. It's not like, uh, not like April, you know, I'm not on the on a mainstream TV anymore or anything like that. (laughs) But, um, overall positive, the, the negative was, um, just the stress. Um, I think correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I think Zach maybe recorded longer than I did over, or he's been, his story like was drawn out for a long time. And Zach, I know you can speak to that. Um, but I was doing mine for about five or six months and just going, you know, day in and day out, strapping up the cameras and doing everything like that. It, it really took a toll on me. Um, for instance, uh, several people that I know that were professionally undercover, like, uh, law enforcement agents through some different alphabet agencies that are close to me, they, uh, they would always tell me that, you know, whenever they're d- deep cover on an assignment, they would have a mandatory like debrief and decompress after the fact. And I just did it for five or six months and then boom, here's and went really public. So uh there was definitely some like psychological baggage a little bit and, and Jody nurse uh Officer Jody, I can only imagine like, you know, what you went through and are still going through. So there was definitely some uh baggage. The the biggest negative for me, and I'm sorry to keep rambling on, was that I knew I was gonna get tarred and feathered by, you know, half the country, the the political spectrum. What I was not prepared for was losing 10, 15, 20 plus year friendships and even brotherhoods and you know, fraternity brothers that didn't even call me. They just tarred and feathered me online and just ghosted me. That, that, I mean, pe- some people that were in my wedding, you wow. know, that was, that was, that was tough. Like I, I was not prepared for that. Um, I was, I knew I was going to get tarred and feathered, whatever. I was fine with that, but the, the amount of backlash in a lot of my social circles um and losing friends that like again 10 20 plus years just like that that was kind of the tough without even a phone call or even an you know, f u or whatever is just gone so Carrie, let's le-
4: let me just ask ahead. you this is this are, are these relationships that you lost were these people that you knew through your employment at cnn or are, are these just lifelong friends who didn't like that you were doing something that they construed as perhaps being favorable to donald trump or something
6: It was the latter. I mean, the whole country got TDS in one form or another, whether you were for him or against him or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was a tough, I didn't know I wasn't going to have any of my CNN buddies on my Christmas card or Christmas card list or vice versa. But yeah, these were people I went to high school with, went to college with, did internships, traveled the country with military buddies, even some. Um, that was the toughest part. And, and you really, it's kind of so cliche. But you really do find out who your friends are, and and I had a handful of friends on the other side of the aisle that just reached out to me and just like, hey, are are you okay? Like, I know this is pretty crazy, but the majority of it was, hey, I'm gonna throw something online or or send you a text and you know, pretty violent, and stuff, and and that's it. So like, I mean, I lost a lot of friends that way, but I gained a lot more, including the people on the screen and others. I mean. Again, overall overwhelmingly positive, but it was the the bad part of it was very concentrated. Well, uh, I do
4: also want to say that Kerry's actually here currently, uh, in, in at my house in Studio B. He's on the other side of the house, so uh, yeah, we are definitely friends. And I guess if it wasn't for the fact that you came forward, we never would have met. So I'm um, very grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, I would and like to jump. To, thanks to Zach Boris for introducing us back then. That's right. Absolutely. So I want to jump to uh to Sean, Sean Spiegel, Sean, because the the nature of your whistleblowing, I mean, it deals with some some pretty heavy stuff. Um. Can you tell us just a little bit more about uh, what your disclosure contained? And, I mean, is this mostly that you were reporting on crimes that were being committed? Were these being ignored by Facebook? W- was there something that uh, that they were doing that, that, I guess, perpetuated what you saw?
13: Uh So that's a very complicated story. Uh, I guess – to shorten it in the best way possible is that while working on Facebook and Instagram's platforms, it was through a third party vendor called Cognizant mm-hmm. and Cognizant won this auction to get a lot of this content and resources and material through Facebook. And when I started, I was told I was going to be more of in the general moderation queue. But I worked a lot with animals when I was younger. I was, like, in 4-H. h um, I helped with animal shelters a lot. So when it came to a lot of gruesome content that was towards animals,
10: mm-hmm.
13: I was one to pick up on, like, what exactly we were looking at. Um, I don't mean to go too graphic, but one of the best examples was when I was training, um, a lot of people were having some trouble on this video. They didn't understand what they were looking at. And it was this dog that had a prolapsed anus oh. and you could see um semen leaking from it. And based on what I saw, I made the conclusion that, hey, this is dog that was raped by a human. And sure. this person made an aftermath video of it. And so it kind of evolved from there from just doing general moderation cue and just like looking at political memes and all that stuff it evolved to this actual desk where I worked with about 12 other people and we worked specifically on graphic content and hate speech. And the way that it was described to me is that my um, acting manager told me that Facebook did not want all of this content. They were getting so much more content on the graphic department that they didn't even want it anymore. And so My team leader described it as the floodgates are opening and we just need a team to tackle just graphic content day in and day out because of how much we were getting. And so we were dealing with this and it it varied depending on what we're getting. But my main job there was to look for graphic content that was being perpetuated in the United States And I would create reports and analysis on them. And so I would go through people's public records. I would go through their um, housing records, plumbing records, anything I could find. I would go through any old social media um, that they had to link who they were. And so basically I was creating these portfolios of people that were perpetuating these acts. And if they were to take place in the United States, I would hand them over to Facebook's team. So I would create these reports and I would send them over to Facebook. And Facebook, as they would tell me at the beginning, is that these reports were being given to local authorities or whoever Facebook claimed uh would be the best on acting on them. And if any of these things were happening outside of the United States, Facebook would take them and tell me that they were going to be giving them to, i.e., their policy teams or the local governments in these countries that were dealing with it. Um, so that's basically the basis of what I was doing on uh, half the time. The other half of the time had to deal when emergencies were going on. And the biggest one I can really think of was the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, I worked uh, specifically with the FBI Because there were a lot of threats going towards Brett Kavanaugh and towards the woman that was going against, that testified against him. Um, Mm -hmm. What was her name again? I cannot remember. It was Dr. Dr. Ford. And, um. Christine Blasey Ford. Right. We were working specifically on that because there were a lot of people that were getting into these private Facebook groups and they were basically coming up with situations on how to put car bombs under Dr. Ford's car. Or on the opposite end, there were other groups that were discussing how they were going to break into Brett Kavanaugh's house and try to kill him. And so we were working on, like, how these are active threats and if they were things that the FBI should take seriously and apprehend these individuals or if these were something that uh, had no basis on it. So it was half the time creating these portfolios and working with the graphic content. And the other half was, in these emergency situations, I would help identify the people and create these portfolios for them.
4: So I don't know about anybody else here, but it's kind of shocking to me to learn that these social media companies um, need somebody to help them with figuring out what is like illegal or, uh, you know, graphic cr- criminal content against animals and children when they can so quickly be right on top of political speech uh, that uh, that they don't want people to say. You know, you I, I was just telling Carrie before the show started, uh, when I got deleted from YouTube, I was doing videos about the Hunter Biden laptop. Man, they were right on top of it. But you have a video of a dog getting raped, and they have to run it by a couple of people. I mean, I feel like you know things when you see them. That that has no business being put on a, on a, any type of website like that. I don't know; it's a little shocking to me.
13: Uh, it's very interesting because specifically Facebook likes to hide behind the fact that they're a publisher; they're not responsible for the content that's being posted on there. Mm-hmm. And it's also just very difficult because they Facebook likes to take. On their own, that more general cue speech that goes with the political kind of climate. But when it comes into more of the black market kind of stuff, like having to sit through private pages or having to go through profiles that, uh, that house these, this content, it's not something that they seem to be on the ball with. And I think primarily just speaking based on my experiences, is Facebook was really wanting to do more with the the problems that were being talked about more. And during the 2017-2018, with um, former President Donald Trump discussing um, the bias against conservatives on social media accounts, Facebook was really looking towards trying to find a solution towards that. And so they were putting more resources in trying to do whatever they were trying to do with that. Instead of dealing with the content that I was dealing with. And when I say that, I used to work with the hate speech division as well as the graphic violence. It wasn't so much the, uh, it wasn't the more generalized hate speech that a lot of people think on social medias. It had to deal a lot more with, uh, the incitement of genocide towards the South American farmers when mm-hmm. the North Africans were trying to take the farming lands. That's more of what I was dealing with. Or when it came towards um, Muslims in China were being made into indentured servants and they were calling them dogs, filthy animals, and trying to put them in prisons just based on their religious preferences. That's more of what I was dealing with. So if we talk more about regular politics, I'm afraid I can't help that much. But if we're talking more on to the black market aspects and more of international Um, ways of how Facebook and Instagram operated, I'd be more than happy to tell you on that. (laughs)
4: Sure so you, you had said there the um the murder of you believe you said South American but did you mean South African farmers because I know yes, there's a yes. huge I apologize it was
13: the South African farmers.
4: Okay so uh, I'm actually interested to know how Facebook handled that. I mean there really is a genocide going on against uh, South African farmers and believe the government is seizing lands and people are being raped and murdered uh and it's kind of a taboo subject. Uh, I mean I've I've seen individuals that... Melissa, do you
9: not... <laughs> I just haven't heard of this at all. Oh, you
4: haven't? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Sean, perhaps you can speak on it.
13: Yeah, so basically what was going on is the North African government was claiming that this farming land that was coming from South Africa belonged to them. And this also had to do with race, because a lot of South Africans were white that owned this farming land. And A lot of the local governments in northern Africa were claiming that, in a sense, the white man was taking back their land. And so they went on this almost genocidal route trying to take back the land. And it was one of the first videos I remember getting. And it was of this South African farmer. And his entire village was massacred. And he took one of his friend's phones and he made a live stream. And he was describing it. And he was basically just saying, I need help. Whoever sees this, please help. I don't even know what Facebook is. I just know how to do the live stream. And he showed a close-up of his friend. And you could see um, the visible innards of his skull. His skull was crushed innards. And you could see um, his brain. And I remember specifically going up to one of the SMEs, or the subject matter expert's, and I was describing, it's like, what are we going to do with this? And he just flat out told me, delete the live stream, block this account, get it over with, <laughs> because of the Facebook policies when it comes to visible innards. And he told me just to ignore what was going on. And he told me specifically because um, Facebook doesn't interfere with international um, kind of stuff going on. And so he was telling me that, you know, it's not for me to actually, you know, pick a side on this. Just go with the Facebook policies. And that is one of the things that I always regret is that I wish I fought harder with my bosses to make something happen with this. But since I was new there, I just decided to follow along with what he said. And so I did delete the live stream and I did um block his account and I'm it's one of those things that I always regret because this man was just begging for help and he was just showing that his friend was dead from what happened.
10: Yeah, yeah so that's that's fascinating. Um I I'll comment on that a little bit if you don't mind Zach. Go ahead son. please. Um, so you know the yeah the South African thing is huge and and uh anyways there's actually a post I'm reading from a screenshot from what I filmed Within the camera. So from August 28th, 2018, there's a post that said market insights request Trump's tweet regarding South African farmers. And this was under the hate speech category. And so Facebook, it says Facebook is looking to identify any spaces, spiked any spikes in violent or hateful speech related to Trump's recent South Africa tweet. So Trump tweeted about land reform in South Africa, whether he knows it or not. This is a very strong dog whistle. To American white supremacists who associate the current issues in South Africa with the appropriation of land from white farmers in what was then Rhodesia and now is Zimbabwe, bottom line is this could this could easily become a very difficult fire, with white supremacist content essentially endorsing a Trump tweet, but making the innuendo more direct. So that that's Facebook's take on that situation. Hey, Trump tweeted this could be a dog whistle for white supremacists. So it gives you an insight into how they. How they think, how they approach these issues. And then it shares a link to a New York Times article. And the request to us as a rep is says, please surface edge case, difficult jobs regarding Trump's recent, recent tweet in the Kona policy tribe through SMEs and TL's team leaders. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating to kind of see like they're, cause they, whether they like it or not, they have a, a political view on it. Facebook does. And they're, and, and yeah, and, and I think I agree with Sean. I think with, with situations like that where he's asking for help. I had a similar example in, in Mexico where this person was live streaming, calling for help, and we couldn't really do anything. So I definitely understand how uh, Sean feels with that.
4: Sean, what's the psychological toll on you, Ben, since you had to witness this stuff? I mean, I, I'm, I'm disturbed just hearing about it. I can only imagine having to watch these videos as part of your daily routine.
13: Right. Uh So... When I was working specifically in this desk for about two years, I was seeing about 100 to 150 pieces of content a day and just about every single piece of content was a different, uh, graphic experience because I was specifically just there to look at graphic content. So I wasn't looking at like memes or political stuff or like text or anything like that. I was looking specifically at videos and images of people just brutalizing other people and animals, and basically plans on how to brutalize and torture people and animals so if it wasn't directly that, there were many times when it would be like plans on how that they would apprehend this individual and do this, and they would all do this through direct uh, messaging on facebook the uh psychological impact was not good um i started overeating a lot um i got very fat i got over 300 pounds um i've lost a lot of the weight um but you know it's still something i'm battling with um i think about it daily about a lot of these instances where i was told specifically that i would be like the police of facebook and i would be helping people and i would be doing a good thing and the more I worked there, the more I just realized that, that was completely false. And, uh, as I've said before on like when I was talking to someone else, like where I was really just kind of like sweeping all the bad stuff under the rug so no one else would see it. Um, the more I think about it now that it's been a couple years past is that while the psychological impact on me it it sucked it was terrible i think back to one of my friends that worked there with me his name was riley and um he came down from washington state with his wife to come try to live the floor dream and uh he saw this very bad cannibalism video and it was Boko haram also in africa um had kidnapped Uh, These teenage boys And they basically skewered him Like a pig alive And cooked him And uh, We had to watch the entire thing Because according to Facebook's policies um, If you watch The first 15 seconds of a video And you see that There is a violation You have to keep watching To find more violations
4: why why yep, that, yep, that doesn't make yep. any sense, Zach. I kind of want to jump over to you on this I mean if, if there's a policy violation of, of like pedophilia ch- uh, animal rape or cannibalism in the first fifteen seconds that just uh, that's already going to be an automatically exclusionary uh, uh you know uh, aspect right there. The video's going to have to go down. Why is it that they have to have people watching these things? Do you think that they're doing this on purpose to people forcing them to look at this type of disgusting material as uh as an intentionally psychologically damaging thing i just again i go back to the idea that they can so quickly and easily automatically censor a post or a video or whatever if it has a picture of trump if somebody says maga you know whatever it might be they can go ahead and shut it down but then you know they can't identify a dog being raped or a little boy getting cannibalized
14: zach uh oh sorry (laughs) it's okay it's okay you're, you're, uh, you're, you're uh, muted. Here. You're muted. <laughs> Sean, Sean, go ahead and answer that. Keep oh. The answer
13: there. Well, Facebook has this really arbitrarily, like, awkward policy tree. And so you can, so we have these policies and they've obviously probably changed since I've been there because they changed on a daily basis. But these policy trees had, like, a severity rating. And so, example, I worked in graphic violence. And so just looking at a picture that is graphic actually goes lower on the priority tree than a video that is um, of graphic content. And so you would actually get marked points off based on if you were marking it wrong. So just because you delete something for it being graphic content does not just automatically get rid of it. You have to categorize what part of it is graphic in certain expectancies.
10: Yeah. So Sean, Um, a real quick example is if, if there's a video, I show someone cutting their someone's arm off and you can see the inside of it, but there's also nudity in that video. Then you have to delete for nudity because nudity is higher in the hierarchy. Right.
13: Or if it's in a medical setting, like in a doctor's office, it can just stay on no matter what, even if it's like, it it was, I can't really describe it. It's just like, They, it wasn't necessary for it to be this complicated. If you see something that is wrong, you should be able to just delete it. But instead we were, it, I suspect it was also because at least for me, I was also working with the AIs for trying to automatize this. And so a lot of this when it had to do with the AIs is you had to they basically make it like perfect on what the AI would identify it as. And so these policy trees were just these big ways. I all I honestly think it was a way for the AIs to learn what humans were like reporting on.
14: That makes a lot I, of sense. I, I, I want to add to that. I want to add to that. that that's why I wanted to, to jump, jump in to yeah. and say, yes, the reason why you have to go through is probably because your answers are being used to train an AI. And these AIs want really clean data. And so if you sit there and you misrepresent a piece of content, then you're basically giving an outlier to the AI and you're going to mess it up. And I, I've heard that from other people, you know, that were content moderators at like YouTube. They're like, I think I'm training like an artificial intelligence to do the same job I am, uh, you know, in a few years. And that's, that is indeed what I think ha- has been happening. So yeah, you have to watch the whole content because you got to accurately put on the labels that will be used to train the uh, censorship AI uh, later on down the road.
13: Right. And I worked specifically with one AI, but for some reason, Cognizant only wanted it to learn things that were sexually suggestive, such as um, the definition of what cleavage is, the indentation between the breast, or what butt focuses or swimsuit or sexually suggestive position or um, identifying the nipple versus the areola. So, There were some times when we would go hyper specific into sexually suggestive content that showed no nudity, but for some reason, like a swimsuit being sexually suggestive. And it was specifically being done for an AI, but I remember always questioning it with my higher ups. Why were we only doing this for sexually suggestive photos instead of like this graphic content that humans are forced to look at every day? I don't have an answer for that though.
4: Little did you know you were training the algorithm for TikTok to better serve up videos over there. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But uh okay. I want to I want I want to be able to flip the the script and hand over to uh, some other people here. Uh so th- thank you very much Sean for all of that information. I you know just yeah, absolutely insane. Uh but uh Melissa and Jody, you're right next to each other and uh you both had similar types of disclosures. I guess I am wondering uh, for both of you, what the toll was on uh the the fact that you came forward as whistleblowers, but also if that has evolved since that time, because a lot more information has come out. Let's start with Jody. And you're muted. <laughs> it's okay. It happens all the time. Uh, hang on. There you go. Right. Now you're unmuted. Okay.
8: <laughs> yes, a lot of information has come out every day that goes by. Um, you know, it's proving, you know, why I exposed what I exposed, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so thankful to have have had the discernment and follow my faith instead of the fear, because it led me to research. It led me to the truth, you know, and so in doing that, you know, I had evidence-based practice behind Why I did what I did, you know, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody got confused, um, by hearing novel and it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe so, but it's respiratory, you know, it's, it's transmitted by respiratory, you know, droplets or aerosols or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't allow that to confuse me, but, um, you know, I have to say my, ex it, it, you know, disclosure, I've, I've just received a lot of love, a lot of love. I mean, I do not, I don't have, I mean, I have people, you know, um, asking me, you know, that feels, you know, completely different, but I'm able to have conversations with them. It's never aggressive. It's never mean. Um, my, my kids just, Think my my three children. I have two adult children and a twelve year old and they're just so proud of me, my whole family. You know, um, yeah, I, I just it's it's been a it's it's been a blessing in that aspect because my conscience is clear, right? Mm-hmm. Like I did the right thing and I feel good about it. Um but on the other aspect, I'm I'm like Sean, you know, uh food is my comfort. And I didn't realize um how much you know not having a schedule um you know because i'm not I'm not working.
2: Order now.
1: fighterflare.com.
8: um like in a nine to five kind of job hospital, even though I can, I uh, had to undergo an ethics evaluation and my license is free and clear. Um a Phoenix Indian um medical center is still paying me. Ooh. I mean I you know Good I you. <laughs> my my story I don't think uh you know it it, it could be any better. You know, I'm I decided that I finally saw that it was important to put this in black and white, and I've been spending my time writing a book. It should be out in about a month or so um you know, I just want to encourage people to do the right thing and um you know and you know come forward speak talk to talk to others you know that not, not not get fooled you know by headlines or propaganda messaging because it's all propaganda mm-hmm. you know it's it's a ton of it
4: all right uh well melissa i'd like to hear the same from you you know looking back has this been a positive or a negative experience and has the reception to you changed over time
9: well you know i've had lots of highs and lots of lows Nothing low in the sense of, you know, I never received threats, which was a surprise. I honestly thought that I would, you know, be scared for my life at some point. Um, Thankfully, I never was. Um I've had lots of things affect my life, not necessarily um, in connection to the whistleblowing. Like I had two great names that both died. One just died earlier this month and my other one died in December. And you can't help but wonder, you know, that thing in the back of your head, you know, what? the timing is odd. They were healthy, you know, paranoia, I guess sets in more than anything. And, um, if I'm with Jody, um, I'm really happy I came forward. I have no regrets in coming forward. Um, but I do miss my job. I miss having a schedule and some stability. I do miss my job because I was good at it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I was there almost 10 years. I had formed some really strong friendships, Even, you know, having people I considered my work dad, haven't heard from him since, you know, um, I lost more friendships than I gained, but I think I gained better quality friendships in the sense of I know who was really supportive and who was kind of just my friend because, you know, I maybe was just there. I don't know. Um, But when they realized I didn't agree with everything about them, they just dropped me like a hot potato. Um, but some good news is I am pregnant, and I'm pregnant oh, with a, my <laughs> pregnant with me and my husband's first baby, a little boy, That's and he's New Year's Eve.
4: <laughs> good stuff. And
9: so, yes, so there is some positive in my life, but um, for the most part, my interviews have been dead. I don't think I've done any interviews in about two months or or so. Um, which it's been kind of nice to go back to normal, but I'm not really normal because I don't have a job. Sure. Um, I'm my husband, actually, somebody mentioned this earlier, I think Officer Jody, I kind of wanted to say this, that I have always loved police. And then I started digging into Freemasonry and <laughs> researching it. And uh, my husband got a job for the city recently in April. And just last week he had training out of town and it was in a Mason lodge taught by Freemasons with mm-hmm. the rings, the grandmasters. And I'm like, What? <laughs> Because he knows i've oh I've red pilled him, <laughs> you know, so he knows he looks for all the symbols and stuff, and so it's great that he has a job um I'm trying to do you know my own thing, um, and it's just I would say the biggest downside is to see people still see the truth from someone that they know have known for who knows how long you know some people have known me my whole life, and they don't believe me. And they know how I try to be as honest as I can and always truthful. But for some reason, you know, they just don't believe me because they don't, you know, cognitive dissonance. They don't want to, especially if they've already gotten the the vaccine just yesterday. I ran into um, some of my mom's old friends I haven't seen in probably, you know, six years, seven years. And they didn't know what I had done. And so they said, you still working at Pfizer? And I'm like, oh, no, I whistle blew against them and got fired in October. And their eyes are kind of what? You know, cause they're, they're very pro vaccine and stuff. And so I sent them the video and then didn't hear anything, you know, (laughs) you know, just, which is fine. I just want them to have the truth. Right. And so like, I like that. Um, I've been able to get my story out. Um, the truth, people need to hear the truth. Uh, That's what I cared about the most, but it's been very discouraging in the sense of no, uh, nobody's ever recognized me. The the best story I've ever gotten was my mom's friend, who's also her coworker, went to go get a heart sonogram just last week. And the doctor, the heart person, was talking about how they don't trust the COVID vaccine and that I she needed to watch this video and pulled up my video. And how knows, cool <laughs> is
3: that? Yeah. So that That's... made
9: me feel good that at least, you know, some people yeah. in yeah. Kansas have heard of it, um, besides just my small town where Pfizer was. Um I have no regrets of coming forward, but I do miss my job itself, not the company. I do miss my job and I'm, I wish, I don't know. I guess I wish that I feel like I reached more people who were outside of our box that maybe, right. you know, I feel like I spoke, uh, just confirmed a lot of things to people who were already on our side,
0: <laughs> but
9: to the people who were outside, it's like they're, they're talking about going to jab their kids next week. You know, it's like those were the people I really wanted to reach. I just feel like wouldn't watch my stuff, you know?
4: Well, you know, it's scary to think that some people it it takes um, uh, an adverse event happening very close to them before they Mm -hmm. they open up their mind. And then they say, oh, gosh, you know, I I remember I saw that video on Project Veritas with Melissa talking about the dangers of these vaccines. And here we are. And now I've got a kid who's in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. It's really sad. Mm um i would like to jump down to uh to april april moss uh april so uh in general your experience as a whistleblower would you say it's positive or negative and how has it affected the relationships in your life
12: uh one hundred percent positive for me um but mostly because i i feel like i'm able to live and walk in in my truth of of what i know to be true and so so i mean it, it is it is correct that I've, I have found another job, you know, different from Melissa. I, I feel the pain that she feels when she talks about, you know, I was good at my last job. Um, and I can understand that it's been very different for me because I went into whistleblowing really, truly believing. And I even told my, my kids this the night before I decided to go on air and do what I did. I said, guys, I'm never going to be on TV again. No one's ever going to want to put me on, you know, to be in front of the camera because no one's going to trust me. I'm just not going to find any work. So mommy's going to be home all the time now. You'll never have to share me on the weekends. I used to uh, be the weekend meteorologist. And what ended up happening was the opposite. I was thrust into, um, I had no idea that the American people would respond to me so positively, um, of course, you're always going to get some of those haters. I really, to be honest, didn't get very much negative, um, negative press. At least I, I don't really even care because I feel like if it's negative press, it's because they don't understand the truth yet. And 90% of people in that are currently working in newsrooms across our country, they all would say that they would vote Democrats. So for me, working at CBS Detroit every single day, I didn't enjoy my job. I, I, I loved, I loved what I did, but it wasn't an enjoyable atmosphere for me because I always felt like, you know, I was the closet conservative and I was the only one trying to bring some objectivity into any of the news cycles. And so, they didn't want that, so it was a constant, you know, clashing in the newsroom for me, which was very frustrating. Um, so, for me, I'm I'm very grateful that people saw what I did and then said, "Wow, she's somebody that we can trust with our story." And so, I've had so many people reach out to me uh, for for issues that they're currently dealing with where they need corruption exposed. And I'm so grateful and honored that I've been able to partner with those people and get their stories out. One of the um the biggest pieces of work I've done since coming forward is that i um am working on a documentary all about what's going on in the hospital systems now that they've implemented those protocols. Uh, which are designed to kill people where, you know, they're put onto remdesivir and they're sedated and then they're put onto ventilators and then they're gone. Um, sadly too many people have reached out to me. So I, um, have done a very big, big story on that. It's currently in the editing process and it's going to be incredibly impactful. I don't think there will be a dry eye, um, once you watch this, uh, I cried, uh, I sobbed after we had a really intense, uh, probably 12-hour day of filming with all of these women who lost their husbands and um, one man who lost his father, another woman who lost her father, uh, to see how horribly these people were treated in their last days of life in the hospital system. Uh It is is horrific. It's very similar to what happened in World War II under Hitler, where the nurses were just anesthetizing people or performing experiments on people and said, well, we were just following orders. It's so scary, but those exact words were used to all of the women that I talked to and the men, too, who lost their wives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel very humbled that I can share their stories. That, that documentary is called Bad Medicine and it should be out hopefully before the end of summer. Uh, again, I apologize for my voice. I've come down with a cold for those of you who are just jumping on. Um, but I'm so grateful again for uh, being able to do what I love to do, but it, it's propelled me into working sometimes 60 hours a week, uh, because I, I don't want to say no. What I would love to say is that I, we need more. Reporters out there, more truth tellers, more journalists that are willing to say, I don't want, I'm sick and tired of my news director telling me I can't interview a conservative candidate for office or that I can't cover objectively on this story. Uh, we need more people in the media to come out and join, you know, what we're doing. Independent journalism is the future, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and so I've been contacted by so many people. That are still in those newsrooms and they're, they're hanging on by a thread and they're, they're, they are trying to hopefully change things. But, uh, you know, there just needs to be more people because sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I'm only one person. I can't, I can't get to everybody's stories, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm a mom of four kids and I'm still very much raising, uh, their ages 16 down to five. And I homeschool them. <laughs> so it's you. like, yeah. And, and, you know, I just think that we need more people who are willing to just be brave. And if you make that choice, I'm just going to do it. Uh On the other side of that fear is courage. So once you just do it, you're immediately emboldened. And and the American people come around you. And, uh, you know, all of these people that... I'm sharing the platform with tonight. I have the utmost respect for, and I feel so honored that I'm even part of their, their circle here tonight. Um, and yours, yours as well, Zach. So it's an honor to be here. And, um, I'm grateful that because I chose to step out and say something, uh, it's, it's propelled me into an arena of life that I could have only dreamed of. It's been like a dream for me. It's been a very good dream for me.
4: Well, I'm very grateful for uh, for you being here. And thank you for those kind words. Appreciated. You know, as somebody in the uh, alternative media or independent media myself, you know, I think that the work we're doing is vitally important. You said something that I did want to actually pick up on uh, recently. I can't remember who it was because she's a mainstream media journalist for like CNN or uh, MSNBC or something like that. But she commented on a a recent opinion poll which showed that only 11 percent of America trusts the mainstream media now. So it's pretty interesting to me that people in these newsrooms are picking up on that. And still more people have not attempted to change things. Has it always been like that? Because, I mean, looking from the outside in, it seems that uh, mainstream media has always been biased against conservatives for the most part. But did you always feel that there was that level of contention and uh, uh, maybe a little bit of reticence to discuss subjects that might appeal to a conservative audience? Or did that develop
12: over time? Um where when I noticed it that got kind of uncomfortable in the newsroom was when Trump took office. Mm-hmm. When he was running for president, people were just nasty in the newsroom. I mean, hated him. There was such contempt. There was such hatred for somebody. Um and then then when COVID hit, that was like the defining point. As soon as they began to lock everything down across the different states and I was in Mi- Michigan at the time, So we were very, very much locked down and I just noticed that they were, they were just completely abandoning any semblance of objectivity. It was just, we're going to go far left and this is where we're going to stay. And if you try to bring it more objective, then there's something wrong with you. You must be crazy. What's this crazy girl talking about? It was, it was very odd. You know, when I would try to bring news articles to them to say, listen, guys, there's this medication and that medication that they can use. Aren't you listening to the press conferences that President Trump is having every day at the White House? You know, look, he brought this this thing and this thing is helpful. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. And it was like, you know, it's just interesting. Um, You get labeled as as like the weirdo in the newsroom. (laughs) <laughs> for just having a, an objective point of view. I didn't even, I mean, I was a meteorologist. I, thank God. I don't think I could have stayed in a news station if every day I had to deal with that. I only had to deal with it like once a week to host the show. And I spat with the, re, the producer who was on it, who every, every time that we formulated questions to ask our guests, it had to reinforce gender and race in every question. And I used to say, we would, you know, have a little meeting about the, the content that we're going to talk about. And I'd say, why are we reinforcing this person's skin color? It's TV. They can see what their skin color is. Why are we bringing this up? You know, and it was like, nope, you have to say it. And they, and they would only bring on guests that were, uh, completely as far left as you possibly could go. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and you know, it's just, it gets discouraging as somebody who, Yes, I was a conservative, but honestly, I cared more about just objectivity. Mm -hmm. I didn't really want my conservatism getting in the way. I just wanted things to be objective.
4: Well... The mainstream media lost a, a, a valuable resource when you left, and I'm very grateful that you did because I think your talents are better served out here uh, in our sphere. But in some, you, you mentioned uh, uh, the, uh, the portrayal of race. I, I was going to go to Alex next, but I, this is a perfect opportunity to jump over to David because obviously uh, what you blew the whistle on was uh, uh, CRT. And, um, you know, it's been it's been something they've been trying to shove down the throats of Americans for quite some time. Now it got a lot more overt and it seems that there is a, a bit of a revolt happening in America right now. Uh, how do you feel about the uh, the CRT agenda and its success in America right now?
11: Um, unfortunately CRT has been very successful in infiltrating every part of American culture and not even just America because we export culture to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So you can see the same phenomenon happening in places like um Great Britain Great Britain and the UK. Um, it's unfortunate and I've, I've experienced a lot of what April was talking about. Just every, everywhere you go, um, it's saturated with identity politics and they're trying to get people to focus on, um, people's race and gender and sexuality as a guide on how you should treat specific people. And that's what I oppose so much when I was at Hasbro because, um, I'm actually, I'm not a conservative and I've never have been. I've always been kind of live and let live, I guess, libertarian. but i've always also understood that we should treat people based on their actions um and i just it it breaks my heart to see so many people um just kind of blindly following along with the, the race and gender politics but lately i think because it's it's gotten so extreme and there's no there's no space that's outside of that ideology now that people are saying enough and pushing back and we're starting to see that especially in the uh in schools and i think that's starting to become a great thing because um if they we're in a culture war i think most people left or right can acknowledge that mm-hmm. and if the children are indoctrinated into left-wing ideology then the whatever this side is the conservative the the um libertarian side loses um everything is dependent on if if they can corrupt the next generation or not and i think they've understood that for a long time which is why they went after colleges and now they're going after um culture so places like hasbro um nickelodeon you'll see it in even children's entertainment and i'm sure everyone has heard of the the drag queen story hour that's happening oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) like children as young as kindergartens like they understand where they have to go to they don't need to convince people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s they need to get your children. Absolutely.
4: Yeah, it's pretty disturbing, uh, the lengths that they're going. I'm, I'm sure everybody has seen that uh, recently leaked clip from a new Disney cartoon uh, of a, a, a trans man telling a robot where to buy tampons because, you know, apparently men have oh. their periods and robots apparently have their periods. Um, you know, and <laughs> Carrie showed me this crazy video earlier, uh, that in regards to, uh, monkeypox, all of these mainstream media outlets, <laughs> talking about uh the populations where monkeypox seems to be uh, predominantly showing up and it's uh i mean you know i would say it's it's in gay men but apparently you can't use gay as a terminology on on uh, mainstream media anymore it's only men who have sex with other men because i guess you can have sex with other men but not necessarily be gay that seems like that's what the implication is okay Uh, it's a new thing so i don't even really know how to comment on it but um... what is a man what
6: is a, is woman? a woman let's <laughs> uh, let's ask that question what I is hate a woman speech everybody
9: remembered what man and woman was just when roe was overturned absolutely everybody how, how
4: quick that switch right? happened so we right. my body my choice un- sudden suddenly has relevance again uh, okay well th- thank you for that i uh, appreciate it and uh uh alex i'd like to give to you now because you know it's been almost two years since you came forward we're about to head into the midterm election, and it really doesn't seem like much has changed um What are your feelings about uh the possibility of uh more of what you witnessed going on?
7: It'll probably happen yeah there's no fixing i mean the, here's the thing it had nothing to do with my postmaster. he was just following orders just like everybody's following orders, yeah, but somebody above is always there's it, the government's corrupt as hell. Anybody that's been in the military knows that. Anybody that's, you know, I, I, that's why I, I sit there and hear the president talk about, you know, oh, I've got, I've got these gun, uh, planes and stuff. And I was like, what pilot's going to fly for you? Mm-hmm. But that's just my thoughts. You know, if you were to say, Hey, go bomb Dallas, what pilot's going to fly for you? But, but this whole thing with the election, I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe we'll get something around. I didn't, I, I, that's the, that's the first time I've heard about the, uh, what were you, what you mentioned about the, uh, they're starting a new organ, a group just to watch for the election stuff. It's mm-hmm. the first I've heard of it. I've kind of, I've kind of backed off of most media and stuff. I'm trying to like, you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm a very private person. This is very rare for me to do something like this. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but Kerry gave me a call and I was like, Hey, I'll, yeah, I'll get on. I'll talk to y'all. <laughs>
4: So, so, how about uh, uh, the impact on you and your life and your relationships since coming forward? I mean, the mainstream media really mm-hmm. tried to twist what you said, and you know, not just them, but also your superiors.
7: Yeah. Um Well, for the most part, I it was especially when it happened. It was the rough, one of the roughest times of my life. I mean, I was having a rough time. I was really depressed. I was scared. Like I was watching out the window constantly because I didn't know when the freaking you know FBI is just going to show up to freaking arrest me. Especially considering initially I didn't want to come out in the open. I spent I, I was I'm covered blurred out for a reason. I wanted to continue doing my job. I didn't. I had. I never wanted to be out in the open. I didn't want people to know my name or my face. I just wanted to. Here's the information. Do with it what you will. Hopefully somebody will be willing to, uh, willing to investigate. That was my goal with everything was here's the information. You do it. I, but then, you know, it didn't take them long to figure out it was me because of the, uh, if you go back to watch the very first episode, it was, uh, I was wearing that vest. That was an old school vest had the old school eagle. And I'm literally one of two people in the entire Erie post office that wears one of those. So everybody knew it was me, and, and next thing I know, I'm I'm out on the street and I'm getting uh talked to by you know postal police, and I'm like, well, now I don't know what to do. So I ended up contacting uh, back with with them, and now i was scared, you know. And they're like, we need to get you out in the open that way they, that they can't freaking you know Hillary Clinton you out of the world. I mean, they could have disappeared me easy. Mm-hmm. I mean. And I was scared of that, too, because, you know, and it's, again, it's not the postmaster or nothing. It was above them that I was more worried about, you know, it was way above his head. Sure. I mean, because most of the if you ever if you've ever worked with or been around the, uh, and if you ever talk to anybody that's been in the post office, you'll notice like management are a bunch of yes men. They will do whatever is told of them, whether they, it's corrupt or bad or wrong and they know it's wrong. They'll still do it. I mean, there's so many things that they do that are sneaky in that, in, in the post office. It's scary. And, you know, it, we're the ones who really get screwed by the sneakiness are your carriers. They, they're the ones that get the worst treatment out of everybody in the post office is the guys that are out on the street delivering your mail. Mm-hmm.
4: And why but, is that? Just because they are, uh, the, the most public facing?
7: Uh, no. Uh, a lot of it is, <laughs> A lot of it has to deal with, all right, let's say you have an eight hour route. That route on general, as long as the mail is at an average level, it's going to take you eight hours. No big deal. All right. That's what you're supposed to have it at. The post office, we have inspections every couple of years where they inspect to see how long routes are going to do. And I know this for a fact because it happened to me. And I was doing my, I was t- doing 1018, my favorite route. I'm, I was out there. I'd been doing it for over a year and, uh, I knew that route like the back of my hand. I could do it in eight hours easy on a regular day or, or less if I really wanted to. <laughs> I could, I could make my time based on what I wanted to do. But we would go out, I went out there on my, when I was getting inspected for it and I had a half a tray of, uh, DPS and a half a tray of flats. And that may not mean much to you, but that ain't jack shit on mail. That's nothing. That's literally I'm passing like four or five houses at a time. Kind of level, which is no good, right? And I'm getting inspected for this. Well, I go through and I'm trying to make, I'm trying to slog it on so I can get as much time out of it, so they don't try and screw me on my route. But by the end of it, it took me six hours to do, so I took two hours less. And when I got back, my manager, being because this particular guy was kind of dumb, he's like, "What are you doing back so early?" I was like, "What do you mean?" I had no mail. He was like, well, crap, based on these numbers, you're supposed to have four trays of DPs and, like, three trays of flats and a bunch of packages. I was like, well, you can ask the inspector right there. That's not what happened. Well, it turned – I mean, they do ganky stuff like that. They pulled mail in order to shorten that route so they could cut the route so they can try and squeeze routes together. So you got – there was one route that is overtake – normally it would take over – 12 hours that they were trying to squeeze out even more onto. It. So you're saying but, just, just
4: for, uh, uh, purposes of, of like cutting costs and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe getting
7: rid of people. Yep. Cutting yeah. costs, cutting routes so that there's less, so they don't have as many reg, they don't need as many regulars, all sorts of little cut costs, but it doesn't make any sense because it's still going to take that regular. If you take a, an eight hour route, you take four hours off a different route, put it on there. That's still what? You know, four extra on top of your eight, you're still going to have to do that amount of time. It- mm-hmm.
4: So have you been able to remain at the post office or have you had to transition over to something else?
7: Uh, well, they were trying to fire me. Uh, in the end, they gave me a deal. Uh, basically I ended up resigning. Okay. And that took like four or five months after all this stuff happened. I wasn't even allowed to work the whole time. By that time I was already working on my way to get get, get to Tennessee where I am now, you know? Right on.
4: So right. are are you happy? Are you happy with the uh, the end result? I mean, is is your life fulfilling? You've got that beautiful child there, I see. I
7: know. Yeah, that, that, that's the whole reason I came to the state. As soon as I realized there was no way I was going to stay with the po- I was going to end up at the post office, I worked my way to get here just so I could be with my baby girl. And she's like the- she's the most important thing in my life. She's my reason for living, you know what I'm saying? Mhm. Alright, uh, let's
4: see, I- I wanna hear from you next, Zach. You know, I think I probably- Speak with you off air more than anybody else here, but, uh, you know, overall, uh, how do you look at your, uh, your, your situation as a whistleblower and how do you see it as a positive or a negative in your life?
14: You're muted. Definitely think that the, uh, ram- <clears throat> ramifications of blowing the whistle were a net positive for society. And I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to be a part of that. I would do everything again. Um, you know, in terms of my personal life, it's been a bit of a disaster since like you know I've got a lot of family and a lot of friends, especially living in San Francisco, that were all on the left, mm-hmm. and you know part of this like internal struggle for me as I kind of blew the whistle was to sort of like give people concrete proof that there's this like you know collusion that's happening at the highest levels of our government, and that we are undergoing the biggest civil rights abuse um you know, that we've ever seen in this country. I mean, we're, we're, we're taking our free and open media systems and we're now censoring them like, like China or communist states. And that was something that I wanted to stop. And, uh, it seems that, you know, in, in a, in a somewhat large part, we failed to turn the tides. Uh, it, we just sort of slowed it down a little bit. But the good thing is, is that we let so many people know that it was happening and by sort of like, you know, revealing what's going to happen and then it happens um, gives us a lot of power to be able to say, look, like we need to, you know, there is a force that's trying to destroy America. It's doing it by ideological subversion. It's doing it through all these different techniques to destroy America in the same way that they destroyed the Soviet Union. And, um, you know... When the Soviet Union collapsed, everyone just sort of let it collapse because they were so sick of the system. Mm-hmm. But I really like the American system. Um, it gave me a lot of prosperity. Um, it's given a lot of other people prosperity. Yeah, it's got its rough spots, but we can reform it. But it looks like the elites have decided that they're going to, you know, bring in this technocracy. Um, you know, we saw what they did with the elections. We saw how they pretty much colluded with, you know, releasing this virus for Wuhan. Uh, using the emergency to change a whole bunch of laws so that they could get, you know, their election games in at the final hour, you know, the last few months. And the question is, can we stop that process? And I don't know if we can, because the forces that are allied against us are in- incredibly vast. And uh, and they've got the tacit support of about one third of the population that are just completely zonked out on this mass formation psychosis. Mm hmm. And the thing is, is how do we save those people? Right? And that's always been the thing that's been the tragedy is that no matter how hard that we fought, there is a large swath of the population that, uh, just refuse to believe it. No matter if you, if you show them the up is up and down is down and left is left and right is right, they will refuse to believe it just because they, they don't it violates what the people on the TV say, and they can't believe that the entire system has been co-opted and rigged by these powerful interests in order to construct a false narrative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that respect, we still have a lot to, to sort of, you know, it's an uphill battle. I don't know what there will ever be able to do it. And at some point we may have to say, well, you know, we've tried our best and, and uh people are just going to be the way that they are. I mean, I have to wonder whether people like Sigmund Freud, you know, at the final years, they got very upset because they realized that people are, are kind of sheeple. And that's the surprising thing for me is to come to terms with how much people are really just herd animals. And you see like the elites, they got their like mainstream media propaganda, and they're just like intellectualizing whatever it is, is the current thing. And you know, no matter how insane it is, people still are just buying it up. And with this, like what really demoralized me, and I hate to be negative, but it's, it's just this whole COVID thing. Like that was such an easy psyop. And you know, it's like you had like the late night show with all these people dancing, you know, take the vaccine, you know, and people lined up for that and got the squirt. And now you got all these people, like, dying, and, you know, now now the mainstream media is like, oh, it looks like Fauci led us astray. And it's just like, no, like, you guys were all in on it. We were all trying to warn you. And now they're all kind of caught up in this, like, you know, po- possibly a depopulation agenda. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, we're, we're still fighting. I'm still, you know, taking up the cause. I paid a very heavy price to it, lost a lot of friends, lost a lot of family members, Um and especially by the fact that I did so much damage to Google and these institutions and this like idea that there's not a conspiracy, uh I've become you know a little bit radioactive to a lot of you know a lot of my leftist friends uh you know now fortunately, I've gained a lot of new friends you know in this fight as I've had this personal journey of awakening, and I see that there's a bunch of other people that are on similar journeys and you know in that sense i I find that there's a camaraderie. Um, and my hope is that, you know, going forward that, you know, we, we become more, you know, cognizant of what the way that the world really is. And we can sort of find a truce with these elites and say, look, like, okay, there's going to be a lot of capital accumulation in the top 1%. But we don't want to destroy people's lives. We don't want to destroy their ability to get ahead. We don't want to have, you know, satanic drag queen story time hour for children. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, is there some happy medium that we can, so some sort of compromise that we can get to where, where we can sort of coexist without constantly being mind raped by all of this propaganda now? Like I can't even watch TV, you know, or listen to anything because every single thing that I see, it's embedded, impregnated with the narrative of the ideology. And I, I can't watch it anymore. And it's alienating because it's like, I see like the society out there and it's like, I am like, I tell myself like, well, that's not for you, Zach, because, you know, um, they're, they're in their happy sort of like, um, you, you know, hypnosis and you trying to come and save them is going to like be almost like an act of violence, right? Every single thing that you say that's a truth that's up is up and down is down is, Almost like an act of violence to these nPCs that are out there, and so you know i'm I'm sort of left with the sort of realization of the way that a lot of people are and the fact that that there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to be able to change their minds and you know the deep state could be like, oh yeah, it's time to like you know uh euthanize like I saw this like agenda twenty twenty thirty commercial where it's like all these old people messaging that they've been around a very long time but something's got to give and they're all saying about like how they've lived a good life almost like a a commercial for you know euthanasia and i'm like well this this is i don't know whether this is a joke or not but i i I don't think that it was a joke i think that this is sort of like the future of what's going to happen and they're literally going to like convince people to kill themselves and um you know to depopulate the planet and we already sort of had this with the, with the whole COVID, you know, PSYOP that went through and, um and, it, and it's just, you know, that speaks to the power of propaganda and whether, you know, where this is going to go in the future. And my hope is that we, we wake up about it, uh you know, before too long, because if we don't, then the consequences are going to be really dire. Like the power of propaganda is getting more, you know, in, intelligent, this artificial intelligence that's coming out, that's, hallucinating, you know, complete scenes out of, you know, the figment of a computer's imagination. Like once they get that like in, it's going to be, you know, it's going to break the system. Like we've got this human-based intelligence system that's going to go up against this AI system that's going to know all the arguments and it's going to know all the counter arguments and you won't be able to argue with it because it's going to be like this godlike Oracle system. And the question I have is how do we stop that, from taking over humanity and replacing everything with a fake version that's generated by the hallucinations of insanely advanced AI.
4: All right. I'd like to jump to uh, Officer Jody once again. You know, Officer Jody, you're in kind of a unique position because – uh, it sounds like you're still involved in ongoing investigations and, uh, you know, even su- assisting and supporting other people that are doing whistleblowing. Uh, how do you perceive your whistleblowing experience? H- has this been a net positive, net negative? And what about those relationships in your life?
5: Absolutely a positive in my life. You know, I've always um come to the aid of other people. I think the first time that I helped somebody that I saw being bullied by somebody else was at the age of five. And I protected that person, even though the bully was twice my size, uh, I didn't have any fear to protect someone else. So it's been a, it's been an absolute positive for me. I mean, I I can definitely tell you that I have, uh, trauma from what I've experienced since 2006 being a whistleblower, but whatever did not kill me has made me much, much stronger. And I refuse to back down. I refuse. I'm not going to participate in nefarious behaviors uh, by law enforcement. It's disgusting to me. So it has absolutely been an amazing um, trip for me and something that, yeah, I live every single day.
4: How about the effect on the relationships in your life? And had did you ever feel at any time that your life might be in danger?
5: Oh, I've straight up had people tell me that they <laughs> they are gonna hurt me, or that I will I will be hurt. Yeah, I I, I laugh at that. I, I'm like, you know what? Bring it. I I don't have any problem telling people right to their face. If you don't like me and you want to do something to me, bring it. I, I'm not afraid of you. I really, am not. So I have lost friends, or you know what? Let me take that back. I have not lost friends because people that are really truly my friend have stayed with me. The people that walked away or ghosted me from the beginning were never my friend. They were never my friend. And I did not feel sad about it. It was like good riddance to you. I don't need you in my life.
4: Well said. Well said. Uh, listen, uh, David, I don't know that I uh, actually got an answer from you on the effect of the whistleblowing in your life. I think that we got hung up on CRT, but, <laughs> but how was, how was that? How was that, uh, uh, kind of, you know, manifested itself in your life and with your, your relationships?
11: Um, so like everyone else, I think it's, there's been a mix of positive and negative both um, internally and externally. Um, I definitely lost some really close friends, people that I've been through like tough situations, people who I went to their wedding and helped them arrange it. And they just would cut me, they cut me off without even speaking to me. And now they slander my name behind my back. And it's, it's really telling. Um And it that hurts obviously, but because I went through this, then I'm able to meet just so many more amazing people like everyone here and people who I've spoken to at other events. And it's just, it's, it's really fascinating. Like you, you find out who's really there for you when you need it. Um, and then more internally, like since I've become a whistleblower, I have zero problem telling people exactly how I feel about certain things. And mm-hmm. that is such a liberating feeling. Uh, I encourage it to everyone I encounter and a lot of people don't particularly like some of my opinions and that's perfectly fine and there's people whose opinions I don't like. But I'm I'm happy that now I can just have more open and free conversations without having to worry about who I'm going to offend or who's possibly gonna have to who's gonna come after me because I've I've said something that they personally dislike. Um overall definitely positive. Um and I have some family members who are very very much left wing, um. Even though I'm still left wing ish, that we we butt heads on a lot because I'm someone who's um like like April. I'm just more objective in my reasoning. Um, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's been a, a great experience overall. I'd, I'd do it again in a heartbeat because I I didn't want to live with I didn't want to live supporting something that I oppose. Um, like it was very important to me that I could live standing on my principles as opposed to bowing and bowing out and just
4: doing the easy thing. All right. Amen. Love it. Carrie, did you have something you wanted to interject? It looked like you were going to speak up there before.
6: Oh, I was just, uh, you know, giving David like, yeah, that part right there. (laughs) But, uh, I am curious though, uh, David, like, um, like we've noticed that like minorities and stuff that are like, not even conservative, but like you said, just like, just right of the crazy left, right? You guys get, uh, some people get labeled. Did anyone hurl all those, like, Uncle Tom or those types of things at you, like, during your, during this whole thing? Like, you, like, you're black. How can you have this opinion or this type of thing?
11: I've gotten that a few times. Um, double minority status, actually. Check your privilege. Um, well, well I, 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 didn't can't w- get. I didn't, I didn't want to throw <laughs> that out there. It's your business.
13: Okay. So.
11: <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've had some people say, like, you can't hold these opinions because of whatever minority status you have. And I just, Look at them and say, I can hold whatever opinion I want to because I'm an individual. That was the entire point of, that was the entire point of me becoming a whistleblower because I, I hold Martin Luther King's values very, very high. I grew up with him, but I've, I've gotten some of it. Um, I just laugh at it because it's, it shows, and I, I usually get it from more lefty, like far left people that they, they truly believe that people who are black or people who are whatever sexuality have to believe certain things. And if you don't, then you're just pretending to either be one of the things or you're just not a real member of that group. And its I have not encountered any conservatives or right-wing people that have been as bigoted towards me. And I think that's been very telling.
4: Well, that's very, very true. It's pretty hilarious to me because quite often, some of the most bigoted and uh, prejudicial people are those people on the left who, you know, seem to uh, publicly espouse a very different line of thinking. But then when it comes down to it, you know, I mean, if you're not directly lined up with what they believe and what they think you should adhere to, then you're somehow like, you know, Satan incarnate or something. Um, okay, so uh, I wanted to jump back down to you, Zach. I think, you know, I, I would like to kind of focus now on – solutions that we might be able to provide you know I mean the um the space of whistleblowing is rare because people put themselves at risk I mean they put their lives at risk their relationships at risks and uh, and their careers at risk you know what can we do to support people and uh, perhaps make an environment where it's okay for people to come forward because a lot more people should be coming forward because I know that what you guys experienced were not isolated incidents.
14: You're muted. Yeah, so, and it's the, it's the, the, the theme of today. Um, I think that, you know, what people should do is they should de google themselves. Like, I know that a lot of us still use Google search. We need to, like, start diversifying away and being more inclusive with other, uh, services that don't do that. Like, I know that, um, a lot of the content that's really good is now on Rumble and we need to follow our content provide our content influencers that we love to listen to we need to follow them on rumble we need to bookmark them um i have created sort of like my own sort of bookmark site blast.video which has uh most of all the influencers that are important under one single website um and that was sort of my solution to what do we do about the censorship right we got a route around it um, I'm working on another solution right now for distributing video that's decentralized. If you want to see a little demo of that, Zach, after the show, I'll show you. It's really cool. Absolutely. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that for an upcoming movie release, not my own, a big one. I can't tell you who I'm working for right now, but April knows. Um, but um, you know, we, we look. Your influencers are still out there, you know, delivering truthful content. And now it's more important than ever to support them. Like they're coming after us. Like right now they're trying to take down Alex Jones. They're probably going to be successful at that. Um And the question is, who's going to be there to tell you what's really going on? Zach's one of them, right? This is why I love Red Pill 78, why we've been friends for so long. He is a truth teller. Um, And, you know, we need to support that in every way that we can. Um If you want to come to, you know, one of the best places of news on the internet, come to blast.video. It's totally awesome. And, uh, you know, just turn off CNN and ABC and CBS and all these other corrupt news propaganda outlets. Um, and if you can just do that, then, you know, you're, you're going to be able to expose yourself to real information and, you know, make better decisions for yourself, your family and, and your country. Okay,
4: beautiful. Well said. Uh, April, uh, I'd like to, uh, ask you the same question. What can we do to facilitate helping people to make the right decision?
12: I feel like, I, I don't know how much longer I can stay on here because my voice is going, but. This will be the last like, question. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of your audience is already doing the right thing. You know, they're on Rumble, they're educated, they know what's going on. Um, supporting independent journalists, right? Like we're, we're out here putting out content, doing what you're doing, and, and it takes a lot of time and effort. so you know, sharing people's um, people's interviews, right? Um, I just think that we we need to step away um, as others have said, from the mainstream media outlets and really get back into that critical thinking mode. And so if there's somebody watching this, um, maybe on, you know, later on in the recording, who doesn't typically watch Rumble or doesn't typically go onto these alternative areas to get news? Um, you really are doing yourself a disservice by by holding on to what's comfortable, which is just turning on the cable TV and trusting that what they're telling you is truth, uh, because you're never really going to understand what's happening in the world. And so uh my favorite uh news source that I was I was getting a lot of my news from prior to wh- blowing the whistle was the Epic Times. Um, I was an Epic Times reader for about 2 years prior to 2020 hitting and and I actually used it as part of the curriculum for my kids' um homeschool because if they read that newspaper the typical newspaper, you know, the New York Times is going to make you less smart. The Epic Times, I mean, I learn new things every single week uh, when that publication gets sent to me, my house. And so it's one of the best things that we can do to ensure the next generation are critical thinkers. Um, and so if you're a parent and you have children, make sure you're getting, getting your news from solid news sources like the Epic Times, like Red Pill 78. Like April Moss TV, um, uh, and uh, Ivory Hacker, who's not here with us tonight, is an excellent journalist. I love the content that she puts out. There's so many the other great truth tellers. I'm sure many of you can all spout off a, your favorites, right? We've mentioned some of them tonight, but that's what we really have to do is critically think, not just listen even to what I say or what you say. Everybody needs to be their own researcher. You know, because um, we don't want to fall into the pattern that we've been in for the last several decades, which is just believing what somebody tells you. You always want to make sure that you do your due diligence and research what is said.
4: All right. Excellent. Well said. And, uh, April, if you go to sweetwater, the sweetwater.com, you can pick up this vocal ease spray. It's great. <laughs> I keep it on my desk because, you know, even when I don't have a cold, sometimes uh, my throat gets scratchy, but thank you so much for powering through tonight. I really appreciate that.
12: Thanks guys. Have a great night. I'm going to take off now. Thank okay. you.
4: Thanks for being here. We'll see you.
12: Thanks so much.
4: All right. Let's, uh, Jody, I'd like to go to you next because I think that it's vitally important. For people to do the right thing, make the right decisions, speak up when they should, especially in the medical community. And, you know, the idea that I was just following orders, I mean, it's abhorrent. And it seems to be uh, like antithetical to what is supposed to happen in the medical community. You know, do no harm. The idea that your doctor, your health care provider uh, is going to do what's right for you in terms of your health, not what's right for you in terms of the bottom line for the you know manufacturer of remdesivir or, you know, whatever their executives tell them. How do we facilitate helping people in health care make that right decision?
8: I think that there and there has been a movement of you know people in healthcare that are looking for alternative ways to help people, right?
15: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, you know, a, a physician, let's say, you know, a, all they're doing these days is literally typing in uh, a chief. Complaint or a diagnosis, and then they're getting populated. What medications they can prescribe, and they have to go in order. You know, they can't say, "Oh, I I've had, you know, really good outcomes with this medication. I'm just going to go straight to that one." You know, they're really bounded by. Protocol and policy, and you know, I I, and I don't see that changing. You know, I I don't see that changing in our current hospital system because it's just it's ran by big pharma. And um, you know, we had talked earlier about um, you know, world J- officer Jody had mentioned about like the courage, and and just saying like I don't care, like you know what. If my truth is my truth, you know, I'm, and I'm going to stick up for my patient. We're, we're patient advocates first. You know, we, we're not bounded by, you know, our hospital and our policy. Like we took an oath to do no harm and to provide informed consent and to be our patient's advocate. We are there for the patient, not for the doctor, not for the nurse manager, not for the, the hospital administrator. And I think, you know, people, I encourage them to go back and look at their oath and then look at, at and uh, their, their ethics, you know, of saying the form of consent and then ask themselves, am I informed? First of all, am I informed of the best possible alternatives or the, the risk? You know, like, let's just say this new EUA Paxlovid. Right? There are over a hundred medications hyper, you know, uh, for blood pressure and psych medications, especially that are contraindicated. How many people know, know that, you know, and they're not even supposed to, you know, get this EUA. So I think people need to really go back and make sure that they're informed and, you know, follow that little, you know, Nudge, because everybody feels it. That's why I, I haven't received much hate from anybody, right? Because they know something's up. They know it. It's just, am I going to do something, you know, about it? And now, you know, so many people have chosen their, their paychecks over people and, and, and it's just, it's horrific. So what we're lacking now in this, in this country or in this world is, is courage. And and that is really what is going to take is how do how can we help people get that courage to speak up and to use their voice and not be afraid? You know, so I really appreciate you having us on because it's like my story. I, I never thought in a million years that this would be my life right now. I miss tremendously the bedside, but I also know that there's something What what's my purpose you know we're all here on this earth for this time and this place at this exact moment and we all have a purpose in which we why we're here on earth you know we didn't create ourselves you know what I'm saying it's like you know you have to you know find out what it is you know is your purpose and um and go with that and I think I've Talked in circles because my okay. mind's just racing, <laughs> but I don't even know if I answered your question. You did. You
4: absolutely did. You absolutely did. Uh, Officer Jody, you know, I, I think that uh, specifically in law enforcement, I mean, I can imagine a couple of ways myself that you could maybe facilitate uh, the ability of people to be able to do this. Um, do you think that the reason they haven't done so is maybe because they just don't want people to whistleblow? And do you have any ideas on on how we can help the situation?
5: Well, first of all, let me bring some attention to Johan Drolschagen, and he is, he's been instrumental in starting and running a national database of nefarious players in law enforcement, uh, judge positions and prosecutor positions. So do yourself a favor later on, go on, uh, to the Gilio. Brady List site. That's G-I-G-L-I-O dash Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, uh, Julio Brady. And what that is, is it's a site that will allow you to put in names and information and attach information regarding law enforcement officials, judges, and prosecutors across the uh, United States that have harmed you Or others that you know, or even stories that you run across, you can put that information into the database and it'll allow the public to see in a very transparent manner all of those people that are out there that are hurting other people through their positions of power. So I I, I just want to bring that to your attention because that's something that Johan's working very diligently and hard on along with so many other independent cases that he's handling across the United States uh, he's an attorney out of DC and a really, really wonderful man that I've come to know over the recent, uh, months. And he's provided me my own, uh, Brady list page. So as far as, um, you know, what we can do to help those people that want to come forward and be whistleblowers themselves, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be working over the next year or so to create an anonymous environment for law enforcement officials first and foremost to come forward and and start giving information. At this point I tell everyone to just email me directly at officer.jody at gmail dot com and if they have anything that they want to bring to me as a tip or maybe a request to do a story on I will do it. I respond to all messages directly. Um and I've been helping people just since I started my recent YouTube channel uh last month. So You know what? It's power and numbers and the truth will set people free, right? I mean, it's the people have power and they just have to take the time to come forward with the information to make a life altering impact for other people. You you need to stop worrying about the money and the paycheck and everything else. I absolutely did not think of that at all. When I started whistleblowing in 2006, it was 12 days out of field training as a new police officer and it didn't cross my mind at all as what's going to happen to me if I lose my job. I didn't think that literally did not cross my mind. I wanted to do the right thing. That's all that mattered to me, period. Period.
4: All right. Well, with that, we are approaching the uh, bottom of the second hour, so I think it's probably time that we should wrap up. I'm going to ask everyone if they have any closing thoughts, and I'd like everybody to tell the audience where they can find you or your work on social media. Uh, Officer Jody, uh, you know, excellent words you just gave us there. I think that makes a lot of sense Do you. Uh, can you tell everybody where your channel is? And uh, if you have any final thoughts, go ahead and deliver them.
5: Yes. Um, actually, if you just go to YouTube and you put in the search string Officer Jody with a Y, J-O-D-Y, it'll bring up uh my videos. It'll also bring up uh, another one of my uh associates, San Joaquin Valley Transparency. You'll see that he interviews me on his channel a few weeks ago. Um, you know, final words, just find the courage because ultimately that truth needs to be in the light, right? Bringing everything to light is really going to the greatest power of everyone in this room and everyone that's listening is come forward and just have that courage. That's the key word, courage, right?
4: Mm-hmm. All right, great. Uh thanks again for being here. Uh Carrie Porch, uh any final thoughts, sir? And can you please tell everyone where they can find you?
6: Absolutely. I'll be short and sweet because uh I know us and all your listeners have powered through for a couple hours. So thanks to everybody on the screen and in uh in Rumbleland. So um I am actually still on uh all of the mainstream outlets just because I believe that in a parallel economy we still have to get the message on the main platforms sure. as well to bring them uh out out into the you know wilderness, so to speak, right? Uh on Twitter I am at on the porch, like you're sitting on the porch, but O-N-T-H O-N-T-H-E-P-O-A-R-C-H. Uh on Instagram, the same thing, but a two at the end because they nuked my first one. So on the porch two <laughs> at uh, Instagram. But, yeah, final thoughts is just doing what we're doing here. Everyone's already said it. I'm not going to beat the dead horse, is basically help out anyone and everyone you can in the parallel economy, like the rumbles, the truths, um, the gabs, the blast-out videos, everything like that. I mean – um once mainstream media, a mainstream culture sees that there is a viable option. I mean, the prime example, uh, Top Gun, it just blew everything out the water, and it was just a fun movie. But it was just a movie. There was woke, there was a message, and it did a, what one point two, one point three billion dollars on a Top Gun remake. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was a great movie compared. Uh, as for media. Independent is the way to go. Like literally if you can chip in a dollar or two to whoever you'd like to on a monthly basis, cause that's, I mean, the, the mainstream media is in a decline good and that's what, this is the new rise of the independent media. So support anyone and everyone that you can and lo- look at all mainstream media, no matter if CNN, Fox, and MSNBC with a critical eye. That's all I'm going to say.
4: Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. Uh let's go with uh Jody next. I'm sorry, uh, uh we just heard from you, nurse, nurse Jody. So let's Melissa. Melissa, let's hear from you. Final thoughts and please tell everybody where they can find you.
9: Yeah, so I'm on almost every social media platform under Melissa McAtee or Melissa McAtee ninety-two. Um, those are pretty much my names across the board on everything. Um I do have a YouTube channel that's um Bible Teachings, that's Disciples Digest with Melissa McAtee. Um, I'm, I've am i been kind of in a slump being pregnant um, and losing both my animals and just having a bunch of this stuff going on, um, but I do plan on interviewing other Pfizer employees and ex-Pfizer employees on my um, internet page, which is focused on Bible Teachings and whistleblowing on Pfizer, and that's disciplesdigest.com. Um, And I also posted um, a good majority of my documents on there that people can go look at that I took from the Pfizer database. Um, And something that I think people can do um, to support people is we need to be building bridges. Um, The people who think differently than us, I think um, because we get so frustrated because to us, the truth is obvious to us. The truth is right in our faces and in our hearts that we get angry with people who maybe don't see it as easily as we do, or maybe need more convincing than we did. And I've learned myself, I'm not perfect either. I get angry. I say things, you know, but we need to be building bridges to the people who don't know the truth, who are still lost. We need to be showing these uh, whistleblowers, all these different um Everybody has something that someone needs to hear the truth on, whether it be the media, the, um, Hasbro toys or the police department or Pfizer, whatever it is, someone we know needs to hear it. And we don't get it, the truth through to people through anger, hate and, uh, what's the word, like preaching to them that we know all and everything. And so, Um, And also supporting people who do whistleblow. Um, If you work somewhere and someone sees something wrong and you agree it's wrong, work together to do something about that. Um, Gather evidence together. I personally believe in if something is blatantly wrong, gathering as much evidence as you can before taking it uh, through the proper proper channels, which is what I did. Um, You want to still follow the proper channels so that if they fail you, you can still say you did everything you could, you know to try to get the truth out there in the right way. And then when that doesn't work, then you find someone like Project Veritas or Red Pill or someone who will get it out there and get the truth out. And just supporting also other whistleblowers. Um, I don't know about everybody else, but I can't find a job um, that's comparable um, to like what I was doing. And I'm in a rock and a hard place because I can't go back to a big pharma job. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just can't. I don't trust any of them. And then um I don't have a college degree because I put all my eggs in Pfizer's basket that that's where I'd be retiring and so I think just supporting everybody um so that we can keep getting the truth out there and also helping other people get the truth out there. I think those are my closing statements and on how we can get more people to come forward with the truth and possibly even reach more people with love and understanding because we were all in the dark at one point. Mm-hmm. We had to come to the light somehow. So, those are my final words. Sorry for uh rambling.
4: You're fine. You're fine. God bless you. Thanks for your courage and congratulations on the pregnancy again. All right. And uh Alex, let's go with you next, buddy. Any final thoughts and if you want to, you can tell people where they can find you online.
7: <laughs> <laughs> uh that's kind of an interesting thought. Um so final thoughts. Yeah, I mean it, it was, I like this whole, this whole, when I initially came out, it was a difficult thing. I'm even still, I, I'm getting ready to start working again. Finally, <laughs> once my kids gets into kindergarten, which is next week. But, uh, so my life's looking up. I've got a plan for my, uh, for the next, like 10, I've got a 10 year plan set for myself right now. Uh, I miss my job. I still miss job as a, as a carrier, I mean, I may have sounded like I, I hated it, but no, I loved my job. I loved going out there and meeting and dealing with the people, especially on the routes I knew, cause I knew all those people, you know, they were like family to me in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, yeah, uh, if I was going to go with any kind of social media, I'm not really, uh, on social media outside of Telegram, which most of y'all know, uh, but, uh, if you want to see, if you're interested in gaming, I mean, I have a gaming channel that barely has any viewers at all on YouTube. <laughs> it's a uh, nav hops hops and on YouTube, so yeah.
4: Right on. You can find me on Steam as Keymaster of Gozer if you want to play ah, a game sometime. Keymaster of Gozer. Yeah, okay, I'll I'm send going, it to I'm you off air because you got to put some spaces and some underscores and stuff. But, yeah, we should play some games sometime. All right, let's go. Ryan, good to see you. Thank you again Is for being here. that a Ghostbusters reference, by That's the way? It's absolutely a Ghostbusters reference. <laughs> <laughs> Child of the 80s here, 100%. Uh Okay, Ryan, final <laughs> thoughts, and where can people find you and purchase your book?
10: Yeah. So as you can see, I'm, I'm shamelessly plugging my book here. So behind <laughs> the mask of Facebook. <laughs> um, if you want to honestly, for those on the watching right now, if you want a signed copy, just email me directly at Ryan Hartwig at pro, protonmail.com, just Ryan Hartwig at I was the one who was like spamming the chat with everyone's links the entire show. Hey, no, that's uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Ryan Hartwig.org is, uh, my website. So it's Ryan slash book. And I'll put it in the chat here in a second. And then, um, yeah, that's, I'm on I, all my, my user tag, my, uh, profile, social media is, uh, just real Ryan Hartwig. So yeah, real Ryan Hartwig. And, um, I'm on Gab. Uh, I just created a, a true social account. Sweet. Um, Gab Instagram, but yeah. And then, um, I think that's everything. Let's see. Um, yeah, Facebook whistleblower and no, thanks so much everyone. This is amazing. We should do this again. Thanks again, Zach, for hosting us.
4: Absolutely. All right. And, uh, David, you know, I grew up as a Democrat. I, uh, at a certain point, decided, you know what, I don't really feel like a Democrat. I'm more like a libertarian. And then uh, I became a Republican because of President Trump running as a Republican. And now, you know, uh, I have conservative values, but I feel more like a Republican or a conservative than anything just because I definitely am not a left-wing radical. So maybe by default you're over there on the right side of the spectrum now. But I'd like to hear your final thoughts uh and uh and also what you think can be done to uh facilitate more people coming forward and then I'm please of course tell people where to find you.
11: Sure. Um so final thoughts. Um I think like I said before, America's being, America's under attack ideologically at very different levels, whether it's CRT, medical misinformation, or, um, big tech censorship and collusion. The best way to combat all of that is to support alternative platforms, support the parallel economy. And also, if you're like a writer, or an artist, or whatever, create culture, create culture that kind of showcases the best of a, not, necessarily even american culture but our values that underpin it so things like liberty um individual rights and negative rights uh, meritocracy make cultural works that show the next generation and just show people at large these are why these values are good to hold and um as like others have said make sure you're not keeping yourself in an echo chamber ideologically um make sure that you're not falling victim to the same things that we complain about um as to where people can find me i'm on gab and getter and instagram though i don't use it as much at noble underscore stripes um i don't use social media a whole lot but i'll I'll post funny things and um i'm pretty sarcastic because it's fun to (laughs) shitpost on the internet (laughs) um i forgot
4: your third question um uh facilitation of whistleblowing anything we can do uh, in the public How, how do we uh how do we help people decide to do the right thing here Speak honestly, if you see something that's wrong, speak
11: up if you know something is wrong, don't repeat a lie just because it's easier to fit in. That reinforces that lie everywhere you go, and you might not even be aware of it. You might just think it's the path path of least resistance, but mm-hmm. you're encouraging a culture of self suppression and dishonesty and if you if people are unable to break out of that on a personal individual level, then naturally the society around us will decay by the same, um, logic.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Ancient Rome. Hopefully we're not living in those days. Uh, (laughs) let's, uh, let's go ahead to, uh, Zach Voorhees. Zach, as always, a pleasure having you here, sir. Uh, can you answer those questions as well? Facilitation, where do people find you? And, um I can't
14: remember the other one, but you know what, if you want to find out what Google is doing to censor you, um, Come check it out at ZachBorges.com. I've got a Google leaks, uh, thing that'll take you to a breakdown of all the different documents I released. It's 950 pages in total. If you want to follow me and my intelligence drops, uh, do so on twitter.com slash perpetual maniac. I also post on gab and true social under the same names, perpetual maniac. Um, and if you want to see the best place for news on the internet 24 seven, uh check it out at blast.video. If you wanna support me in that endeavor, go to blast.video slash supports. You can that'll take you to my Gifts and Go and you can make a donation to help continue to support the site.
4: All right, excellent. And finally, Nurse Jody, where can people find you and your work?
8: Um uh, right now, uh nurse for natives on Telegram and Instagram. Uh, Instagram is where I pretty much post, but I'm trying to get a website together. Um, and, um, yeah, go that route. So <laughs> it's coming. It's okay. coming. Okay. So
4: let me just go through before we close out here. I have a couple of thank yous, uh, from, uh, from the, the donations on these various platforms over on Rumble uh low country brooklyn thank you very much if you're on rumble don't forget to, to hit that plus sign show the uh algorithm there that you like the show uh spun hill said i salute all of you on this show really appreciate all of you and then my mom real red pill 78 mom says you 11 are the true meaning of stunning and brave thank you for all you do prayers and hearts and yeah absolutely uh if anybody is stunning and brave it's us it's not the those leftists on tiktok and then let's go to the Foxhole. Video Demon Slayer said, uh, I haven't donated in a while, so I'll get us started. Thank you. Thank you to PC Tech Pro, Sean Joe, Pudding Hollow, and Incorruptible Guardian, who said, what an episode, 07. Sean Joe, thank you for that. D-Patriot, 1776 as well. Sean then also says, thank God we have these brave people who felt the fear and told the truth anyway. Uh, Sean, thank you, Castle, and thank you to Julie65. R.C. Anderson, Rook, Maggie May, and then Lynn's over Said much love, great show and guests. Ohio Kimmy, thank you. R.C. Anderson, thank you to Ryder who also said great show. Pequest says thank you, Zach, for all you do. J. Two Dank off the leash. Sean Joe a couple of times. Sean also says the left-right dichotomy is a construct of the deep state. Gotta stop using that term. You're absolutely right. Porpoiseful. thank you for that. Just Josie says the best news station ever. Thank you very much for that. One, two, three, SKG, appreciate the can. Uh Callie R N says, great show. Thank you for thank you to your guests for their bravery. Bruce Banner says, Thank you for your incredible work, Zach. You are truly an inspiration to us all. And then Kansas Mudcat dropping that as well. I also want to say, guys, we lost uh a viewer, a longtime fan of the show in this past week. Angle, who uh used to be over there in the Foxhole chat passed away after uh, being sent home from a, a routine surgery. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to meet her uh, just a couple of months ago. We had lunch together here um, and, uh, on Flagler Beach. And so I'm just asking that everybody keep uh, both Angle and then also her family in your prayers. Uh, you know, this is not the first time somebody who watches the show has passed away, and every single time it feels really strange to um, imagine that we're not going to see them out there any longer. I just want to say thank you to everybody for supporting the show. Thank you very much to all of you for coming here tonight. Uh, I saw a lot of really positive comments uh, out in the audience. Uh, I would love to have you all back, either on your own shows or to do another roundtable. I think this was a, a great way to go ahead and do it. Really appreciate all of you. Let me pass out those gold pills over on the foxhole, and uh, then we'll be back tomorrow. So there we go. The scratching has been released. All right. Once again, thank you, everybody in the audience. Thank you to the panel, and good luck, and God bless. We'll see you next time.